This is a Capricorn FM podcast. I did promise you a progressive discussion and uh, I am sitting on a table. We have a round table with a group of uh, young adults and, uh, and youth and uh, I'm going to introduce, I'm going to allow them an opportunity to introduce themselves. You can grab a mic there. Tell us your name and, uh, and, uh, and, and what you do. Um, my name is Hanchi Matecha, yeah, and um, I am a debate coach and entrepreneur. So basically, yeah, that is what I do. A debate coach. Yes. Sounds uh, sounds very good. Uh, we've got another one. Uh, hi. Hi, my name is Gundro Mukwavo. Um I'm a debater. I was on the Limpopo debate team. I've hmm. debated at a national level like twice. So wow, yeah. wow. That's great, man. Uh, very exciting indeed, uh, all the way from uh, Toyando. We've got another one. I'm very honored to be on Limpopo's hottest frequency. Mm-hmm. I'm a former debater. I'm currently doing my matric right this year. Okay. Uh, and I am the RCL head at Eagles Nest Christian School. That's where I'm schooling right now. All right. And how's the balance? Uh, did you did you uh, take a break from uh, debate because of Patrick? Yeah, it was more like that. But then I actually left like more than a year ago because there was something more immediate and there was the books. So oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah books yeah. are more important. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, we've got one last one uh, to contribute on the show. What is your name? Hi, uh, I am Litharonolo Litwalo. And I'm a student at the University of Limpopo, also a member of the University of Limpopo Debate Society. Mm. So uh, we've been 27 years into freedom. I don't suppose any of you uh, <laughs> was there actively. So when we, when uh, black South Africans cast a vote for the first time to, 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 to elect their leaders, it's always been... Uh, white leaders uh, of the national party and other parties which you you know maybe you may not have that much interest but uh, you may have seen in your history lessons in school but it's been 27 years nonetheless Uh, you walking into freedom has it really felt like freedom do you feel like you, you you were born into freedom um i think for many of us the answer would be yes Primarily because we really have never had the opportunity to exist with the constraints or the restraints that people pre-1994 had to live with. Mm. Um, so I think that even the most basic things such as not having your movement regulated, mm. not having mm. who you can relate with being regulated, I think that in a sense in itself qualifies as being born into freedom. Mm. So, uh, does it even, is it relatable when you hear people talking about something called a dompas, which had to be carried around the size of, a, of your exercise books? Does it, does it even make sense? Is it something that you, you, you find yourself uh, connecting to, or, or it just sounds like a, a century ago? I mean, for me personally, I've grown up with grandparents who've always like, told me, what happened back in the apartheid era. So mm. I've quite like understood some of the struggles that they went through, you know, mm. particularly. And I think, yeah, we are doing quite a great job as South Africa de-racializing the society. Although I do think that there's much more to be done. But yes, to answer your question, I do relate. Also, I think there are a lot of programs out there, you know, I'm quite interested in history. So I have seen some of the struggles on TV. I do sympathize with them. So... Mm. Yeah, I would say yes, I do relate. All right. Uh, listening from home, you are welcome to join in on the, the conversation uh, by sending us a WhatsApp message or a WhatsApp voice note. We may be taking calls a bit later on. And the question that I'm asking uh, my panel today, a panel of lively young people, uh, most, uh, actually all of them have not been there uh, when the first vote was cast on this day in 1994. Does it make sense to you when we talk about, uh, you know, maybe segregated buses, for example. There's a bus for black people, a bus for white people. Um, the, when you go to the cinema, it's only for, for whites. Uh, you may have seen, you know, on, on the internet, on TV, slech uh, blankets, something like that. You've probably seen it. But does it, does it make sense to you? Honestly, for me... Yes and no. Like, the concept of someone telling me that I cannot get on a bus because I'm black, that seems kind of ridiculous to me. But also, 
that kind of does exist in society to a certain extent, like through like wealth disparity. Like mm. a lot of black people are poor, so like they would never be able to get on the same bus as a white person because they don't have the money to do so. So mm. I think that segregation still exists. It's just that it's not because of the laws. Mm. It's because mm. of the distribution of wealth and just like the power dynamic between races mm. in the country. That is a very smart answer, I have to say. Uh, uh, it's uh, Gundo, right? Okay. Uh, I want to ask again. Uh, maybe I should be, be rotating. I want to ask again. Uh, judging from whatever you've heard from parents and so on, and uh, the frustrations that they may have, you know, looking at our history and where we are now. Where do you think the problem is? Uh, why are, are, are most of, of even your peers, you, you, you know, you, you may not, uh, your background may be well off, but I'm sure you have peers who don't have the same background as, as you do. But what do you think is the problem? Why are you, one is from a rich family and the one, the other one is from an extremely poor family. Why, what makes you think causes the, this imbalances that we have? Is this between black people or in general? Black people and white people, and also just, uh, you know, uh, even amongst people of the same race. You know, I'm going to concentrate more on, the, on people of different races. Mm, mm, you know, my that. friend once gave me this great analogy, and I'll never forget it. Mm. Uh, her name is Alicia Mitch. She was telling me that, take two cows, okay? Mm. Uh, feed one cow an entire haystack, all its life, and one cow, say, half a haystack. These mm. are exactly the same cows. Mm, mm. Say. And then now there comes a point where I don't know what comes into the farmer's mind, but then he realizes, no, man, let me, let me feed these cows one haystack each from this point, say after five years, for example. Mm. Now, does this seem like it's going to be fair if we take it, if we look at it from the aspect that there's one cow that has been malnourished mm. all its life, mm. and then now, the, I don't know, some bright lights flash in the, in the farmer's mind, and mm. now he wants to feed them equally. We're going to have a, a malnourished cow that's going to have to give birth to, say, calves that are mm, going to have mm. to also live malnourishedly because they were born from a malnourished mother. And mm. then we're going to have a cow that has been healthy its whole life. Mm, mm, and and mm. this cow is going to continue from where it is. And that has to be okay on, on, on both cows' accounts. So that's an imbalance. Yes, that is an imbalance. Opinion. And it, it, it doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you used an agricultural example. We do have a, a very serious lack of uh, interest from young people in, in agriculture. <laughs> is that something you're considering? No. Uh, well, yes. Most of my background, we do have a very strong agricultural background as mm-hmm. people. But yeah. Do you have interest in that yourself? Yes, I do. Actually, I, I harvest honey for, for, as a hobby. Mm. During my spare time, I, I do that with my dad. <laughs> that, oh, wow. Uh, that's, that's very impressive, I have to say. And uh, let, let's hope uh, you intend going forward with that. Uh, I see, uh, Haji, you, do you want to you wanna add? Do you want to yeah, say something? I want to add to something that he said. And I think what's quite important as to like where we are today, why we found ourselves here, is mm. like just opportunity, having access to certain things. It's never been equal. At first, we started with equality just being different between whites and blacks. Mm. But now, with the rise of a black elite, it's still different, right? We still find that even policies that are introduced in South Africa to deal with past inequalities are just helping the middle class, right? They're not mm. necessarily going down to the grassroots. And that's why perhaps we see South Africa year on end growing in terms of like inequality, mm. even, you know, between black people themselves. So I think, yeah. Just access to, you know, equality has just not been there for every single person. Mm, so mm. for me, that's one of the biggest reasons why I think we still find ourselves with the haves or the haves a lot and the haves mm, not, mm. you know. All right. Uh, you, you seem like a, a grown woman. Uh, and, and do you find that uh, you have a problem as far as uh, uh, the representation of uh, the genders is concerned? in issues of uh, the economy and, and redistribution as well. Do you, f- do you feel like uh, you are where you are supposed to be? How long do you think you still have to go as women? I think there's genuinely <laughs> a long way to go before mm. we achieve real e- equality because a lot of it really has to stem from a change in attitude. Mm. And I think that that is 
one of the primary things that people struggle with. Mm, you know, mm. having a simple conversation where you have to engage in issues of feminism and you just see the amount of backlash due to misunderstanding, due to ignorance, and just really people's unwillingness mm. to want to participate in such conversations with a genuine curiosity with the result being we want to learn as opposed to I'm only listening to you so I can put a feminist down. Mm, mm. And I think that because you have this lack of change in attitude, you then encounter several problems where as genders, we can't respect each other and interact normally. Like there's um, a phrase that I, I like to put out that, you know, with women, we have to deal with a lot in terms of always existing in a space where we are sexualized, mm, right? Mm. To such an extent where you will genuinely miss out on a good business partner because yeah. <laughs> you've been trying to just, you know, sleep with this particular woman instead of recognizing the abilities and the talents that mm, she has. Mm. And I think that a lot of that disparity still exists even in our workplaces, right? Mm. So, and another interesting thing is that you then not only have this challenge as men versus women, but you also then have this challenge as women of different races. Mm. So even like recent studies have shown that when, in as much as we've been fighting for equality and all of these things, black women are still particularly the hardest hit with disenfranchisement and discrimination. Mm. So I think we still have a long way to go. And I know for a fact that I have to work 10 times harder than the average white woman and even more so than the average white man for me to be able to stand in a similar position and have the same respect um, that is afforded to them simply because of their privilege. Hmm. I'm glad that you raised that. Uh, we are having a panel discussion here on Progressive Talk today and I'm talking to a group of young people, both male and female and, uh, and uh, of course young. Uh, now, you, I don't know if you may know this, but there was a time, uh, maybe a couple of uh, decades ago, where um, boys in school used to outperform females uh, by a good margin, a very a considerable margin. But that uh, that gap has closed down a little bit. I, I don't know if uh, you are familiar with that. Do you? Is that something to celebrate, or do you think uh, maybe it's all the same? I think I'm like very happy about that because I think it's showing that society is progressing to a point where we stop teaching women that like they're inherently dumber than men mm, or mm. that like they're not supposed to get an education or that it's not something that they need to focus on. Mm. You know, like as a feminist, I think it's, it's very important to me for me to be afforded the same opportunity as anyone else like as a man, mm. but I don't see that happening because like situations where women and men have to interact and there isn't a power dynamic, like like where men are not in power in that situation, they seem to get very hostile. Because mm. mm. I have a sister, she's a doctor and she works in a hospital and like a lot of the men around her are just very disrespectful towards her. They mm. don't use the correct titles. You know, they mm. call her baby girl. Oh. And it's, I just, I find that so disrespectful. Mm. And mm. it makes mm. me so upset that, like, it seems like women are being chased away from these spaces because of the way that they're treated. Like, mm. Um, mm. like she said before me, like, they're sexualized. We are seen as objects. And therefore, like, we cannot be respected. And it's really sad that, like, like society is progressing but there's still that internal bias that still exists mm. so I think we still have a lot of developing to do as a society would, would it help if she responded uh, baby boy to them? <laughs> she does actually <laughs> <laughs> very interesting indeed but the question that I'm asking and uh, maybe I must uh, ask you Hanji uh, like I was explaining that many years ago uh, our, in our education system uh, boys used to do really well, especially in, in the scientific fields, your mathematics and, and, uh, and science and so on. And uh, things have changed now. Uh, the tables have turned. But this may as well be that uh, boys are becoming dumber and slow. 
is that a good thing? Is it really something that uh, we want? Is that the change that we wanted? I mean, if boys are getting dumber and slower, that necessarily isn't a good thing altogether. I mean, it might explain all of the issues that we have, you know, in terms of like GBV, because sometimes, you know, you can never like really, let me say, give it a name rather than being stupid, right? Mm. But do we celebrate women being smarter? I think absolutely yes. You know, it's about mm. time that women took their place in the boardrooms. The old boys club is gone. But but uh, let me ask yeah. you, uh, without cutting you off, uh, now, if if things are changing, yeah. it might as well be signaling a change in, in our education system, right? Yes. It might be that there is something that has been introduced that that is uh, it's not good for for the males for the males uh, and now things have been changed is it fair for them to to you know to change something that is to their detriment while it is supporting women it's good for women and yeah. and and that is good then but it's, bad, it, it's for bad for for the males In whatever instance, has changed is it fair no that it's not fair in that case that it's not fair if things have not remained the same and women aren't organically just becoming smarter then you know i don't think that it's fair mm, mm. we have to have like one playing field i think even women would appreciate it even more if we were tested at the same level i think that is exactly what they want mm, so if mm. something changed structurally somewhere and I don't think I'm aware of it, but if something did, I do not think that it's fair. Maybe uh, the way in which uh, teachers teach, the way in which the curriculum is set up as well. Maybe there's a change there and it's, it's not uh, seeming to, to favor the boys. Uh, but uh, let's go to Anonga. What do you think boys are no longer performing as well as they used to? And, and are you happy with, with this? I'm, I'm not sure if you, you were aware of this particular fact. You know, what I'm aware of is that, as you're saying, this was happening de decades back, right? Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe two decades ago. Maybe two decades ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to highlight that there was a time at which we, we weren't really, what can I say, as advanced as we are now. I mean, as a society, by the mm. way, in our ideas and the way we think. Mm, because mm. I, want to, I want to believe that uh, two decades ago, there was still, it was still a time in which women had not fully been... We hadn't, I don't want to say we, but society hadn't started taking women seriously in the sense that if in a family a boy and a girl were to be born, and say the girl was the firstborn, that was around a time where females were still viewed as people who were supposed to, who were just there to bear children and do housework and things like that. So it was usually the boy children who went to school. And this is why I want to say that the setting didn't change. The thing that changed was that women and girls started going to schools and if boys are dumber then oh well that's just sad <laughs> but then I, I, the thing that changed was that women started going to school mm. and i think that it's not a bad change it's not disadvantaging the boys it's just showing that as they were being oppressed there was a lot of potential being suppressed there Mm, so yeah. Okay, I, I I like your answer. Uh, it's leaning to the females, uh, <laughs> but uh, I've got a question, and I'm gonna. I, I know that uh, there are stuff that uh, you yourselves wanted to to raise and to talk about that we 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 must discuss on this panel, and I'm going to give you a chance to do that. But I just want to look at one question from a, a listener, Shoti Signolo from Lechalametsi Are. Uh, good evening, Tabo and your panelists. I want to direct my question to the panelists. After 27 years of democracy, we witnessed may, uh, many cases of corruption, scandals, uh, unemployment, police brutality. You can mention uh, Marikana Massacre, uh, Andris Tatani and the likes. Uh, is the ANC-led government different to the apartheid regime? As you would know it, whatever you may have learned from uh, from uh, from the school <laughs> i see that some of you maybe you come from families that are politically involved but be free be free uh, it, it will not have repercussions when you get home <laughs> um i think that to say that the anc-led government is the same as the apartheid government would be an unfair equivocation mm, mm. um because I think that the apartheid government relied on a widespread oppression 
like mm, and a systematic mm. oppression of like black people right and i think that in some ways a lot of the things that happened under the current administration mm. would perhaps maybe be equated to incompetence more than an out an, an outright hatred and wanting to oppress a particular group of people mm. so i think that the maliciousness that existed with the apartheid government is not necessarily something that you would find in this context. So, yes, of course, the consequences are dire with regards to unemployment and all of these things, but that is more in part with an execution of policies mm, as opposed mm. to outright going out of your way mm. but, to but hurt the, a particular the group of the people. Same. Uh, the others are doing it out of hatred. The others are looting out of love, right? But the outcome is the same. People are still poor. We don't have land. Maybe you should have grown up on a farm somewhere uh, that your, your parents inherited from, from uh, your, your great-grandparents and so on. So the outcome is the same. Do you think that this person is making an unfair comparison given that uh, the outcomes are the same? We are still as poor as we were under apartheid? I don't necessarily think that, the, yeah, the outcomes are the same, sure. I don't think it's an unfair um, comparison. Um, I do think what democracy necessarily gives us as one of the principles is the principle of accountability, right? Mm. And I think this is where South Africans necessarily need to take their vote to the voting booth. Hold whoever it is that you do not like accountable. If you don't like what has been happening, you go to the voting booth and you change your vote to someone. Mm, the Constitution mm. affords you that. Democracy affords you that opportunity. Mm, so, mm. as we did with the National Party prior to 1994, we should do the same with any other party that does not give the people what it is that they want. Mm. So, is it an unfair comparison in this case, seeing that the outcomes are the same? I don't think so. But I do think 27 years down the line, there are systems entrenched for us to make a change. Mm, mm. Yeah. All right. Uh, now I'm going to go to my promise. Do you want to say something before? Yeah, I think I want to add on that. I think it's an unfair comparison because when apartheid ended and like the new government went into power, the negative effects of the previous government were never really rectified. You know, mm. we still had like poverty and stuff happening like before 1994 mm, mm. so i don't think it's a fair comparison to compare like a government that oppressed people and caused the poverty to a government that had to operate on top of what the previous and government had already done you know mm, like mm. it's not like when the anc went into power like they had a clean slate they didn't cause everything some of the problems that exist today already existed before but it's been 27 years I'm a, I'm a sure saying. but like is that really a long time like if you think about it well uh, you were born and uh, you, <laughs> here you are within that 27 years so <laughs> i mean i'm not saying that anyone is completely innocent mm. but i'm saying that it's just not a fair comparison mm. All right, uh, you may join in on our progressive uh, discussion today. And I'm going to give my panelists today uh, on our discussion uh, an opportunity each to, to just uh, take us through what uh, they have prepared to share with us 27 years into democracy. Are you happy? Is this what you've been hoping for? Uh, maybe we can start with you, Anu. To be honest, I think many listeners can relate this is not what anyone would have hoped for. Mm. After 27 years, we expect so much. And I want to say that I, I don't think much has been done because as we have been speaking right now, we, we are aware that the ANC didn't start on a fresh slate, okay? Mm. And that mm. this new government was supposed to be one that is inclusive to everyone, no matter the race, the religion, or anything, to, to respect the people's rights and give them you know, almost equal opportunities. Mm. But then what we see with our governments, one in particular, <laughs> is that they were not able to deliver the, the freedom, per se, that we were supposed to experience. The one that Tato Madiba wanted, you know, the one where they built 
there was supposed to it was supposed to be a, a system in which everyone was going to be included and now we see that the black people of south africa we still have the poor people as we are as we as we're pointing out mm. but it it can you know i just lost my train of thought but this is this is not what we wanted mm. this, we, we couldn't have expected this all this corruption going around uh, name the cases it's it's countless and we, we would expect so much more from them Mm, mm. Are you disappointed with uh, with our leaders? I, I can say <laughs> I am disappointed. <laughs> I want you to say it because uh, they are listening right now. Uh, Anonga is disappointed with our leaders. Let's uh, let's hear it from uh, Leto Honolo. Um, I think that anybody who had been there in 1994 would have not known what to expect. Mm. So the current reality we're living in is what we have, but perhaps it's not the best um, mm. because I think a lot of us can agree that there is a lot that could have been done differently in order to change the lives of South Africans for the better. Mm. So, um, and in spite of the many problems that we have with regards to education, with regards to unemployment and poverty and all of these things that we can list, I think it's still important for us at the end of the day to still cherish the freedoms and the rights that we have independently from material existence. Mm. And I think that that's an important distinction to make because a lot of the times we fall into this train of thinking that, well, what's good? what good is it if I have the right to education, but um, I don't have food, have food mm. or, you know, I have a right to vote or I have a right to freedom of speech, right? Mm, but I mm. think that it is important for us to realize what we have gained. It's rights that we did not have by virtue of our birthright. Mm. So having these rights and having these freedoms is extremely important. And it is important for us to acknowledge their importance and their existence outside of material existence, as it were. Mm. So... I think it is important still for us to cherish these things despite the problems and the challenges that, that we face. Because truth be told, um, in a democracy, we have a right to vote, even though we might not vote for the right people. We have a right to make freedom of speech, even though we might not say the, the right things. But it is still important for a democratic society to have these things, um, not because of their utility, but simply mm. because their existence is what is owed to us by virtue of being human beings. To sum up uh, some of what you've said, uh, could I say it's not been all doom and gloom? Is that what you're saying? I think so. Mm. I think so, yes. Because truth be told, we are having discussions that we wouldn't otherwise have, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, 27 years before, you well, know? Well, at least not under surveillance. Yes, uh, of course, of course, <laughs> you know, with, without the threat of the police storming into your house, being on some, why were you talking about freedom yeah. and the emancipation of women? Um, so I think that it, it really has not been the, like, the doom and gloom. I think that Mm. compounded with everything else that's going on, it certainly feels like everything has been a complete failure. But I believe that it hasn't. You know, we have made real strides in terms of changing our societies from education to such a simple thing as having providing or having provided housing for hundreds of people when the RDP program was initiated mm. to... The fact that even though not all of us have clean drinking water, at least it's not that all of us don't have. Some of us do have. Mm. And to the fact that we can go to school, you know, mm. and mm. even though there are challenges with these things and these systems are not perfect, the fact that they exist and they exist for our benefit is still something worth celebrating. Mm. All right. Uh, thank you, Leto Honolo. Uh, speaking of unclean water and so on, I, I, I saw a broadcast on TV this morning. Uh, a group of people in Pumalanga, they were, they were fetching water from a well and the water looked as brown as, as chocolate. And I thought maybe this is water to, to feed, you know, uh, livestock. But I was shattered to hear that it is water that they were going to, to drink. And, and, and I wondered, do these people even have a, a system of purifying the water? Uh, 
they could Google it, but they don't even look like, uh, you know, they have access to a smartphone, let alone, you know, uh, the connection. But but nonetheless, uh, I'm glad uh, with your answer. Let, let's go now to uh, Gundo. Uh, what do you want to, to share with us today? What have you prepared to share with us today? Okay, so for me personally, I think one of the biggest issues with today's society is that as much as we did get equality on paper, you know, like the laws were changed, we now have rights, we can vote, you know, etc. But like among the people, you know, like when you look around in the society, people don't really get those rights. And like, mm. and like I think it's kind of sad that like in 1994, we were all celebrating that, yay, we can have rights now, we can do things. Mm, and mm. like it and like when they teach history about like South Africa it seems like the story ends in 1994 it's like a <laughs> mm. it's like a happily ever after but that really isn't the <laughs> that really isn't the reality for yeah, yeah. most people like and i think that that change only really happened for people in the middle class people who already had like the money to acquire these rights in the first place but mm, for mm. those who don't it's really unfortunate that like we have the right to clean water to education mm. but people don't have it so it makes me really think is apartheid really over if yeah. majority of black people still didn't get the things that they were promised you know mm, mm. and like as much as we should appreciate the rights that we have on paper that we can do something about it it makes me think were these 27 years in vain, you know? Because mm, mm, mm. it kind of seems that way to me. It, it seems like a, 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 a case of survival of the fittest, uh, something that goes with uh, a capitalistic economy, and I'm sure you may have learned this from your, your high school education. We, we, are, uh, we have a, a capitalistic economy, uh, it does have other elements, uh, but it is uh, primarily a capitalistic economy. And uh, maybe uh, we, we may talk about that. But Khanji, uh, what, what do you want to tell us today? I mean, for me, the great irony is that, you know, if you go to a place like Santin, if you go to like Cape Town, Camps Bay, is that you find areas of people who denounce the current government, right? Mm. But whenever something goes wrong within their communities, the government is so quick at fixing those. And I think that is like the great irony about our democracy is that mm. majority of the people, and especially because like the constitution says that majority rules, that is the great irony. Governments out there listen to the elite. They're mm. not fixing problems like people having muddy water. They're not fixing problems for the fact that people go and drink with cattle, right? There's very serious problems within society that 27 years ago, there were promises that were made. And mm. today, those promises have not been, you know, achieved, you know. And although, sure, I, I understand that vision is something that's not static. It's something that's constantly evolving. Mm. And what I like about the South African spirit is that we are constantly working at it. And even now, amongst leaders that you find coming into parliament, young leaders, we are all speaking about changing what we have been doing in the past. I think all we need now is for that change to be substantive, for us to see that change, for us to see that accountability happening within in our societies. When someone said earlier on a question that I did raise from one of our listeners uh, talking about uh, the ruling party 27 years into democracy and uh, really questioning uh, how far we've come and, and the things that we have achieved and whether we, we should be celebrating them. But do you think, from taking from what you, you, you were just telling us now, do you think there's a, there's a problem uh, with people keeping uh, the people that they are complaining about, keeping them in power? What do you think the issue is there? Uh, I don't know. And just quite generally, I think as Africans, perhaps we don't know how to engage with politics correctly. And a lot of times, I think what you do find as a normal 
theme across African countries is that liberation movements, we find it very hard to take them out of power. And we need to understand that they are past that stage of being a liberation movement. Now they are the ruling government. So we need to stop voting because of fear, because perhaps we think the past is going to come back. So that is one thing that necessarily impedes Africa's progression. Mm. that we are loyal to people who aren't loyal to us. Mm. Mm. And right now, I'm not necessarily singling out a party or anything, but we need to think and engage politics differently. Like, for instance, you would find that if our parents, especially around election time, Mm. I was quite surprised that parents, some parents never read a manifesto. Mm. Never. Mm. They never read a manifesto. Do you you read a manifesto? I do. I do read a manifesto. You know, I get so excited when I see American politics and seeing Mm. Donald Trump and Biden on the stage debating. I think that's something Mm. that we need Mm. in South Africa. That system of debate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Because we don't have that whatsoever. We just have these faces that we are told that they were in the trenches. Sure, you were in the trenches, but these are not the trenches anymore. Mm. Mm. Right? The freedom was not free, but now we need to, like, have the fruits of that freedom. Them. But the manifestos can be long, hey? <laughs> have, you, have you seen them? They can be very long. Yeah, and, and grandparents, I, I'm, I'm sure they may not even know that there is a manifesto. If you're going to stand there and tell them about uh, the grant, yeah. that this one is going to take away your grant, and this one is going to add to that grant, that's all it seems you need to do. Yeah, and I think politicians and political parties know that necessarily, and they do take advantage of it. Right. Mm. And hence I say, perhaps we should be engaging politics differently. Even as I think when we go home, we need to mm. like expect more from our parents. Mm. Right? Mm. Manifestos have you know, interests on a wide variety of things. You need to be able to choose and see who best suits you, not because of a grant. And surely, yes, I will acknowledge, sometimes mm. grants are important and that's the only issue that someone cares about. Mm. Right? Mm. But for many people, I mean, we could do better. We could yeah. do that. Uh, there is a, a listener who did ask a question a few minutes ago uh, talking about the election. Now, uh, under the circumstances, the COVID-19 circumstance that we are finding ourselves in, uh, we are going to go into an election, local government election. Uh, do you think they should have held it off uh, until we are done with COVID-19 or is it fine we can go and queue up and, uh, you know, be packed into those buildings and, and vote. Are you excited about the, the you know, the local government votes? Um, I must say, yes, I am excited because, like, I vote every single chance that I have. Um, in terms of, like, holding them during COVID-19, to be quite honest with you, I've never really thought about, mm, you know, mm. the benefits. All I'm excited about is, like, voting because mm. I've lived in an area where I don't want that government anymore. So <laughs> okay. the sooner I can get uh, to the voting poll, the better. All and right. That's my perception. <laughs> 20 minutes before 8, you are listening to Progressive Talk. I've got a panel of young people here. We are talking about 27 years of democracy. And I do have on the line active citizens citizen to talk to us today on freedom day active citizen welcome once again to the show you are you you are a regular here of course i think i'm a regular Mm. and i'm so happy that you are talking to young people though i have prepared for some time i've been preparing something to be discussed on this day and i'm not Mm. sure that it will fit well with your panel but i think it will be helpful let's hear it let's hear it yeah, look, my brother, I think the young people that we have in the studio, and those who are not in the studio but listening to this show, should, and, and everyone else, should start mm. also to think, to, to think about this freedom uh, as to how have we traveled, how far have we come in, in order for us to achieve this freedom that we have. In particular, I've looked at the, at the Battle of Quito Carnival. It was my point of reference to say, and actually, this was raised by the issue of people who were calling upon and criticizing the the Cuban engineers to say, look, Cuba has contributed each and everything, everything to help South Africans to achieve the freedom that we are enjoying today. Mm -hmm. And my my worry is that most of the people 
that looking from they're looking at this freedom from the from the from from 1994 onwards but they don't know how far and how much have we have people contributed to achieve what we have contributed and that if, if at least they're looking something else they're looking at Nelson Mandela alone but look Cuba my brother has contributed a lot in the struggle against apartheid not in only in South Africa but in the southern Africa and the battle of Quito Carnaval, as it is, as, as it's been recorded, it is one of the biggest battles after the Second World War. And what mm. is also important is that the Cubans, there was a point where the Cubans have disarmed themselves. What, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that they took their last weapons which they were deployed in Cuba to protect themselves against American invasion mm. and deployed them in Africa for the sake of Africa and South African. And by so doing, they were risking their own autonomy. But what is most important is that by, by, by his own admission, Dr. General Malan said, we could not defeat the Cubans because we did not know the mindset of the strategist of the Cuban of the Cubans. Because mm-hmm. the people, the person who was behind the strategy of the Battle of Quito Carnival was, uh, was the Fidel Castro himself. And Fidel Castro, Fidel Castro was commanding the forces from Cuba. And we did not know anything about him. So the battle was so tough, was so bad, and the Cubans defeated us. And hence we had to settle to, with, with, the, with the Cubans to withdraw from, 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 from Namibia. So that was a strategic retreat by, 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 by South Africa from Namibia. So mm. that is one important element that the young people in particular should know, that this as, uh, freedom was not only achieved through uh, negotiations, but there were a lot of blood that was shared, and particularly mm. by the Cuban people. But except the other important thing is that when the Cubans withdrew from Southern African Hemisphere, they did not go out. And they are saying it openly that we did not come out of Africa with diamond. We did not come out with South Africa owning the mines. We came out of Africa with the ashes and the remains of our dead soldiers, which is there's no any country in the world that has done that to the Africans. Only Cuba did that. They, mm-hmm. were, they came in Africa, fight, helped South Africa and Africa to achieve freedom and went out of Africa with the remains of their dead bodies, of the, of the dead uh, soldiers. That is very, very important for us as South African people as we celebrate this Freedom Day. I would like to ask you a question before I let you go, Active Citizen. Uh, was it not enough that uh, our former president, as soon as uh, he came into power, actually, even before that, as soon as he came out of prison, he visited some of those people that that uh, that supported uh, that supported the struggle. Uh, he visited uh, areas, some some areas uh, like the Bahamas. He visited the president of the Bahamas, who was one of the people that helped them. He did also visit Castro, you know, to to pay homage and uh, to thank him. And uh, and and one should uh, think that that that's en- that's enough. Uh, but uh, does it really justify, uh, you know, all these uh, acquisitions from Cuba? That was very important, but we cannot say it's enough. Cuba has lost a lot. Cuba has lost mm. a lot in terms of human resources. Mind you, sacrificing your own autonomy, sacrificing your own security. Cubans mm. took out their last ammunition, which they were there to protect their own sovereignty and deploy their ammunition and weaponry in Africa to fight for independence of southern african states that risk i don't think there's any country that can take that risk mm. because they need remember remember south africa was military powerful mm. Mm. south africa was, was military powerful so cuba had to take each and every single weapon that they have and deploy in Quito carnival in order to to to, to be to, to defeat south african government so so what mandela did is good but we, cannot, we can never say it is enough. Especially that Cubans went out of African soil with only remains of their dead soldiers. Uh, thank you very much, Active Citizen, for, for, for educating us there. Uh, always insightful uh, as ever. And I'm going to be asking uh, my panelists uh, some of the, the issues that you've raised after the break. When uh, Active Citizen was talking, he did mention, I'm, I'm not sure if uh, you guys were aware, during COVID-19, we did get doctors. There was a, a huge shortage of, of, uh, of doctors in South Africa. We got some uh, doctors from Cuba. They came at a very high price, I must say. 
and now we've got engineers to help us with our water problem and uh, he's saying we must appreciate we must stop we must not talk bad about them getting doctors and engineers from outside how do you feel about that them getting uh, doctors from abroad and bring them here and paying them such high prices do you think it was justified with it because um mm. I'm also aware of the roles that other countries and other people have played mm, in mm. South Africa's ability to attain its independence and its freedom. Mm. Um, and I don't think necessarily that these arrangements are solely because of that. Mm. So it's not to say we're repaying a debt, but I think that we, there needs to be an understanding of bilateral relations, you know, mm, mm. in the same way that doctors from Cuba came to South Africa to help when we had a shortage of doctors. Mm. It's the same way that South Africans are going to Cuba to train in medicine because they have some of the best um, medicine programs in the world. Mm, mm. And in the same way that we have acquired the skills of these engineers to come to South Africa, mm. it's the same way that equally Cuba provides, you know, similar training programs to South Africans. Mm. Um, so that kind of give and take exists. And I think that if we did do enough research, we will probably find that the Cuban government has probably also spent money mm. in acquiring yeah. skills yeah. from South Africa. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, uh, I'm going to play a voice note. And uh, after this voice note, I'm going to get your, your closing arguments for today. All right. Let's check out this voice note. Hi, Double Ezekiel and I just want to quickly cut to the chase. I, I, I don't know what is there to celebrate, really, because uh, what we have seen, uh, it, you know, at least uh, in the past uh, few years, is shocking. We used to celebrate uh, Freedom Day uh, some years ago, maybe seven, six years ago, when we didn't know, uh, when we didn't know a lot of things that we know now. And a lot of things that we know now that are shocking, be it the Zondo Commission and everywhere else, some of them were exposed by the EFF. And in this case, I would like to thank the emergence of the EFF because you can only imagine where we would be minus the EFF. It means we would continue celebrating that, no, the government is doing well and some of these things would be hidden from us. So there's absolutely nothing to celebrate. There's not much to celebrate. Maybe, well... The right to vote, the right to to join even when you are you are still young and make babies, maybe that's those those ones can be celebrated by those who are benefiting from them. But those of us who have seen elsewhere in countries what the freedom means, you know, we we realize that there's very little to 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 none. But lastly, I was disappointed by the premier of Limpopo, Stan Matabata, on, on the news when his clip was played, when he said uh, the government has opened the doors of learning to those who are qualifying. You know, I was, I was so hurt because the reality is that the government of the ANC has closed down the, the doors of learning. And then because of affordability, even if you, you are qualifying, but you, can, you cannot afford you are closed out. So it is not true that the government have closed the, you, the, the they have opened the doors of learning. They've just, they, you, I mean, you remember the case. Let's, let's leave it there because of time. Uh, all right. Um, I'm going to give you this opportunity because of time just uh, to wrap up. Just uh, give us your closing thoughts before we go. All right. I think, you know, I, I listened to the voice note and he said that there's not much to celebrate. And, you know, to a certain extent, yes, I do. But he speaks quite well about how, you know, now we have things such as like the Zondo Commission. And I think one aspect to appreciate about democracy, even if like we've done something bad, maybe for a couple of years, is the accountability mm. that we do have, you know, like we are trying, we realize that mistakes have been made. And we have set up institutions that can show us that mistakes have been made and we should do better. So I don't necessarily think it's all doom and gloom. Yeah, sure, we could have done a lot with the past 27 years. I think everyone on this table would, would agree with that. But, you know, we still have systems in place, robust systems in place, checks and balances that just makes sure that whenever we get sidetracked, we can get back on that vision of the prosperous and freedom that we would want to see South Africa have in future. Thank you, Khanjima Techa uh, from Polokwani. And uh, now we're going to Gondomukwewo, all the way from Toyando. So, um, I think that 
today is a very important day because like it's important for us to recognize that like we have progressed as a society but at the same time it's important for us to like recognize that we still have a lot of issues you know like how the wealth disparity between um races causes like people to have a lack of information which in turn causes that poverty to persist again so basically marginalized groups of people are caught in a poverty trap and Mm. that's just continuing to oppress us even more and also like people still have like internal biases you know because after hundreds of years of being told that you are inferior eventually you're going to start believing it even if you don't want to you know so i think as a society in order for us to progress we need to recognize that these issues exist Mm. and i think today would be like an important day for us to like evaluate within ourselves you know why do I think the things that I do? Why do I believe the things that I do about my fellow black people or whatever race you are, you know? So, yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, let's go to Lesoho Nolo. Um, my closing statement would be one that, again, we recognize the importance of the rights and freedoms that we have independently of material existence. And secondly, that as South Africans, we need to start recognizing the power that we have from our institutions, from the constitution itself, and start using that power to effect the change that we want to see. Of course, we might not have the money, we might not have the capital or the resources, but if there's one thing that we've always had to our advantage is our unity as a people and our willingness to ensure that change actually happens. We fought apartheid with nothing to our names. And I think that whenever injustice um, occurs, even in this present day, we can still have that same power and that same ability to fight that injustice as well. All right. Let's go to our final uh, panelist, Anonga Mabuda. Um, I'd like to close with... uh, Code from Nelson Mandela. Yeah, that's always smart. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a wise guy. We can't leave him out of this. He fought for a lot of this together with a lot of people, as mm. active citizen was saying. Mm. And he says, "Courageous people do not do not fear forgiving for the sake of peace." And with that said, I'm not saying we have a perfect government. The past 27 years could have went uh, could have gone a lot smoother than they did. Mm. Mm. Uh, it's unfortunate that we are working with people. And people are incompetent in many areas. So, with with that said, I'd like us as South Africans, as the Rainbow Nation, as the the world acknowledges us to be, to come together. I'm not asking us to forget, Mm, but mm. if anything is ever going to happen, we're going to have to move forward together. And that's where I stand. You know, the future is in our hands, really. And as the young people of today, that is what is very important to us. Mm, mm. Having that vision. Yes. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's how we come to the end of our progressive discussion today with my panelists. They did ask me not to reveal their age before they were done with their discussions. And uh, so, uh, <laughs> but I can tell you from where I am that the oldest of them was 26. So, uh <laughs> And uh, yeah, but uh, so uh, we, we, we have two teenagers amongst them, but uh, maybe you couldn't pick that up. That's uh, how advanced they are as, as young people. Very exciting to hear all that they have to say. 27 years into our democracy, into our freedom. And has this been, have they delivered? Has freedom really delivered for us? So uh, that's what we've been discussing and also celebrating today on Progressive Talk. My name is Tabo Subashe. That was a Capricorn FM podcast. For more podcasts, visit capricornfm.co.za.